Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Morning, Morning, everyone. everyone. Uh, our uh, never-ending never tour, tour of, of the Bible's, Bible's most controversial, controversial books, books continues today. today with uh, Genesis. Genesis. We've, we've done, done the other, other end of the book. We've done Revelation, Revelation last year. Now, now we'll, we'll move to the move to the front, front and restart. restart. Uh, <laughs> so, so glad to glad see you all here this morning. I'm calling this, for reasons which will become clear uh, this morning, the Created Order. Uh, that's, that's the title of this morning's talk. It's Genesis 1 uh, into a bit of chapter 2. If you are too lazy or unspiritual to have brought your Bibles with you or to download on your phone your Olive Tree app, or if you're like me, if you're with Vodafone, you can't download anything anyway, uh, then, don't then don't worry, all, all of the text, text and everything is going to be on the screen. We're going to do a bit of the reading together, a bit, just little bits, and I'll, I'll cue you when that's, um, when that's come up, so don't, don't stress about that. Um, yeah, that's a good, a good way to start. I will, like, I'm going to warn you in advance that we are going to look at this in sort of a, a way that you probably, many of you may not be used to looking at, at, at the text in this way, and it's really important that I stress. We're looking at the text. We're interested in the text. Um, I'm not going to be having scientific conversations with you this morning, okay? Because that's not what this is about. Uh, but I do want to start with this really important question. How, how does the world work? How does the world work? And that's what I want us to start thinking about. How does the world work? Well, well, look, look in Western, Western society, we have a really particular, particular sort of way. I need to turn that on, otherwise it's not going to work. There we go, yeah. In Western society, when we think about that question, how does the world work? Look, we tend to answer that question using the language of science. That's our cultural language, isn't it? We tend to talk about physics and biology and chemistry and even psychology to explain the way that the world around us works, the things that are happening in it. It's our cultural language. It's our way of explaining the workings of the world. And so, and so we explain, explain things, things so often according to physical structure, structure right? according, according to, to their atoms or their particles or their molecules, or we might explain them according to sort of the forces that act upon them, like gravitational force or energy or, or uh, erosion, another one possible. We are very interested in the modern Western world, these are the questions we ask, we're very interested in where the stuff we see came from, right? Where did the stuff come from? Who made the stuff? Or what made the stuff? We ask those types of questions. But ancient Near Eastern cultures like Israel answered that question, how does the world work? They answered that differently. They thought about that question differently. They had a different cultural language for explaining that kind of thing, for explaining the idea of how does the world work. They explained the world, not through the language of science, but they explained it through divinely ordered systems. That's what they were concerned with. The fact that the world they see around them is, a, is an, an orderly system instituted by, in the case of Israel, God, or, or in the case of other cultures in the ancient Near East, divine beings. Right? It's an ordered system, and that's what they're concerned with. So ancient Near Easterners are much less interested than us, much less interested in the physical structure of things. They don't care as much about that. And they're much more interested 
in something having an assigned role or a function within that ordered system. Does that make a little bit of sense? We'll get there. It's a bit confusing if you've never heard it before. That's okay. They're concerned with, when they talk about something existing, they're concerned with the fact that it has a role, it has a function, it has a purpose within a system that's been designed by this divine being or by God. Uh, does it have a function? Does it have a name? A name that signifies that function? And so their question is not so much who made this, as much as it is who assigns the roles? Who assigns the functions to everything? Who establishes and maintains order? Who maintains the system? All right, you with me so far? We'll get there because there's a good analogy, right? John Walton, who's a scholar, he kind of thinks about these types of things and eventually my little slide will come up if I don't turn this thing off. I got a tricky finger there. Help me. Are we frozen? There we go, brilliant. Okay, perfect. Um, John Walton uses the analogy of a restaurant. A restaurant. Now, now, when you think, think about a restaurant, a restaurant the, building, the building, the building doesn't make it a restaurant, right? It's not the building that makes it a restaurant. It's not the framework of the building that makes it a restaurant. What makes it a restaurant is when the owner opens it as a restaurant, when the owner names it and opens it up and it functions as a restaurant. So the actual building, who built it, how it was built, that's much, much less important than what happens in the building. Like in this restaurant, Cookie, on Swanson Street. And let me tell you, if you go, get the ceviche kingfish and the red curry pork belly, because it is beautiful. But it's really what happens within the building that's important. It's the fact that it is opened and operates as a restaurant. The fact that someone has given it a name. Um, the, fact the fact that, that the people and the, the parts inside it all have functions and roles that they fulfill. And just to kind of foreshadow it a little bit, I just want to say, Genesis 1 is far, far less about nuts and bolts and steel girders and, and frameworks and much, much more about opening the restaurant, if we're looking at that analogy. That's what Genesis 1 is really about. Because, of course... Genesis, Genesis 1 is, is not, not contemporary, contemporary Western, Western literature, literature. Right? It, is it is not, not Western, Western scientific literature. literature. Genesis, Genesis 1 is ancient Near Eastern literature. literature. It is ancient Israelite literature. It is written by ancient Israelites. It is written to ancient Israelites. And what, and what we're interested in this morning is the text and how the text actually works. If we come to the text expecting our cultural language of, of science, uh, physics, biology, stuff like that, or if we maybe try, if we're coming in, in sort of this attitude of wanting to prove or disprove science through this text, then honestly, we're importing something very foreign to what this text actually is. Instead, I think what we're actually going to see is a lot of times, like our Western, our Western viewpoint, our Western way of explaining this text just doesn't work. It's, it's very insufficient uh, to explaining what's actually happening in Genesis 1. Instead, we should be asking the question, what is this story in Genesis 1, the one that we see here, what is this story trying to tell us? 
what is the author of the story trying to tell us? So that's really what we want to look at this morning. All right. You still with me? You haven't yeah, shut me off yet. All right, good. All right, we're, we're, we're broaching into the, the controversial grounds, but I hope, you, I hope you'll stick with me. I want to say that read from an, read from an ancient Israelite perspective, we're going to say, see two things. First of all, we're going to see the story of how God established order in the cosmos. How God established order in the cosmos. How he moved the cosmos from a state of non-order to a state of order. And the second thing we'll see is that this is also a story of God establishing his temple. His temple, which is actually the cosmos itself. The entire cosmos is the temple of God. And I, I really do believe that reading the text from this ancient Near Eastern perspective, or the best we can to get into the mindset of an ancient Israelite, will help to more fully explain the text to us and will help us to more fully understand it. Um, I, I'm hoping we'll see that straight away here as we enter into uh, Genesis 1, because this is how Genesis 1 starts. You probably know it very, very well. In the beginning, when God created the heavens, and the, and the earth. earth. The, the earth, earth was, was formless, formless and empty, and, and darkness, darkness covered the face of the deep, deep while a wind, wind from God swept, swept over the face of the waters. So when so we when open we up Genesis, Genesis 1, actually the first, first thing we see is this world that is, is shrouded in darkness and covered with water. Now, I told you the Western viewpoint will not explain this very well because the first thing a Westerner like us thinks is, where did the water come from, right? That's the first question, right? How did the water get there? Because if God hasn't actually made anything yet, God hasn't any created anything yet, what, where's all this water? Where's all this water coming from? Um, and I'll just say, if you, do, if you sort of look into this, you'll see all kinds of crazy explanations that Christians try to come up with to explain this. I'll just, I'll just warn you, if you have, you have to go, to go outside, outside the text to explain what's happening here, you're going in the wrong direction. Because to an ancient Near Easterner, this makes perfect sense. This is not, this, this is not, this will make absolute sense to them. Mesopotamians, Babylonians, Israelites, people, the cultures in that area, they were not seafaring people. They didn't like boats and they did not like the sea. To them, the sea was a frightening place. It was a place of chaos. The sea was a place without order. It was a place of non-order. And that's what they would recognize when they opened up this text, when they opened up the scroll and read this text. What they would see here is a world without order. They would see a situation or a state of non-order. It's a dark, watery wasteland where there's no orderly system that has been established. Nothing has been distinguished. Nothing has a function. Nothing has a name. And that's scary to an ancient Near Eastern person. And into this situation, God begins to establish an ordered system. First of all, into this dark world, God brings light. And we read this. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. Can you read this together with me? And there was evening. 
and there was mourning the first day. Now again, in sort of the modern Western context, our first question might be, <laughs> How does the light get there? Where's the sun? Because we know like the sun is the source of you know all the light that we get in this world. It comes from the sun. So where's that? Well, the sun doesn't actually even show up till day four of creation. So don't worry, that'll make sense eventually. It will make sense. We'll explain that. What's more important here though, from an ancient Near Eastern perspective, from an ancient Israelite perspective, is that God is separating things. Light and dark day and night. God is naming things, giving them a function. God is creating order out of non-order. And so on this first day, God has dealt with darkness. On the second and third days, God deals with the water that we see at the beginning of Genesis 1. I always do that. It should be that way. And this is what we read here. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. Can you read this together? And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. And together again. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So again, in this section here, God separates things. He separates the water below the sky from the water above the sky. He separates waters from dry land, and he names those things, sky, land, seas. Now, of course, you're probably reading these little bits and thinking, what, what, what is the waters above the sky and the waters below the sky? Well, we again have to understand, this is not the world as we perceive it. This is the world as the ancient Near Easterner perceived. This is the world as they saw it. They have the earth sort of rises out of this thing called the Great Deep or this great giant sea. Um, above the earth, you have the, the sky, where that's where the sun and the moon and the stars are by the way, in the ancient Near Eastern way of looking at the world. Above the sky, you have something called the firmament, or some of your, uh, some of your translations may call it the vault or the dome. It's this idea, this is almost this solid sort of blue vault or solid dome that keeps the waters above the sky from falling on you. Now, when, now, when, when it, it rains, rains, the windows of the windows of heaven or the doors of heaven in the vault open up and let the rain out. Now, look, that might seem silly to us, right? It seems silly from a Western scientific vantage point, but you have to understand for an ancient people, you've got rain falling from the sky. You're wondering, where does that water come from? There must be water up there somewhere, right? This is the world that makes sense to them. And that's the world we're seeing in this text being described to us. 
Now, what's really, really important, important is, and I want us to really, really hone in on some of this stuff, stuff here. here. The, the first, first three days, days of creation, creation that, we that we see here, day, day one to three, form a group. In this, in this sort of group of days, days day, day one, two, and three, God orders the basic form of the cosmos. Light and dark, day and night, sky, sea, and land. The basic framework, the basic form is laid into place. Now, in the next three days, God fills that form. And so we read on day four, and God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the sky from, sorry, to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Can you read this together? And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Now here, finally, on day four, is the sun and the moon. On the first day, God designed the night and day system. Now, on the fourth day, God fills it with objects that govern that system, the sun and the moon and the stars. He gives them functions. He gives them names. He actually doesn't name them light and dark. He doesn't name them sun and moon, does he? He just calls them the great light and the lesser light. But he but gives he them gives functions. Them functions. And, their and their functions, first, are to mark the time, seasons, years, and secondly, to give light. And now on the next two days, God fills in the rest of the system. So remember on day two, God separated the waters from the sky. Well, on day five, God fills the water with creatures, fish, whales, sharks, whatever. And, and the sky he fills with birds. We also, we also remember on day three, three right, God, God separated the sea from the land. land. And, and on day, on day six, six, he fills the dry land, land with animals, animals and, of course, with humans. And I'm hoping, this slide should help us, I'm hoping that we can see here the literary connections that are going on between the different days of creation. What's what happening here, here in this text, text is that, that, well, let me well, back, up. back up. The way, the way this, this piece, piece of literature works is that it opens, we saw it open with the idea of being the world being formless and empty. Formless and empty. That was the first thing we saw. Well, the days of creation are the answer to that situation, are the answer to formlessness, are the answer to emptiness. The first three days are about creating form. The second three days are about filling that form. And we can see the clear connections between day one and day four, day two and day five, day three and day six. I hope. Is that clear enough? Good. Now, we should, when we read this either, we shouldn't miss the important fact that God does all of this ordering alone. Because, because in other, other ancient, ancient Near Eastern, Eastern creation, creation stories, stories the, and the, the, we have many of these, we have several ancient Near Eastern like creation stories from Babylon and Assyria and places like that. And they're very similar in some ways. However, in those stories, there are many gods. 
and the and gods, the gods in, these in these stories, they, they argue with each, with each other and they battle with each other and they have wars. And, and so, so often in these stories, stories the cosmos, cosmos is actually born, it's created out of, out of the out wars, wars that they fight. Uh, also, also, what's, what's really, really common, common is that, that objects like the sun, the moon, the stars, the rivers, they're all themselves gods that carry out different functions in these, in these stories and they carry them out often independently. But, but for Israel, Israel, of course, God, God is, is one. one. God doesn't God need, need to fight with other gods, gods to create. create. God, God simply speaks order into existence. God commands it into existence. God himself assigns all of the roles to the different objects, and that's important to note, that they're just objects. The sun, the moon, the stars, they're not gods. They're simply objects, objects that God, that God places, places into the system to fill a function and serve, serve his purposes. purposes. And of and course, course, the last thing, thing that God, God speaks into existence, existence is not, not at all an object. object. It's, it's his, his own, own image. image. And, it's and it's very, very important what we see here. here. So, so God, God created humankind in his image. In the, in the image, image of God, God he created, created them. them. Male and female, he created them. Now, we talk about this verse quite a lot. And, and rightly so. It's a very powerful verse. Uh, whatever, though, it might mean to us today, however we want to think about it, to an ancient Near Eastern reader, they would recognize this as the culmination of a temple story, of a temple building story. Uh, temples, uh, temples in the ancient, ancient Near East, East. they were they built, built often as representations of the cosmos. cosmos. And, they and they were dedicated, dedicated with ceremonies. Uh, and and how, how, how many days do you think it took for those ceremonies to take place? Six, Six seven, seven, technically, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven, seven, the last day is the, is the, is the, is the ultimate the day. Ultimate. Yes, yes, those ceremonies, ceremonies usually, usually those dedication, temple, temple dedication ceremonies took place over seven, seven days. days. It's not an accident. It's, not an accident. it's, it's, it's that's, that's how they're, how they're designed. designed. And, uh, at the at end, end of, uh, at the end of those days of, of dedication, the last thing that happens when you build an ancient Near Eastern temple is you place the image of the deity Within, within the temple, the temple. in, the, in hopes the hopes that that, that God, that deity, that deity will inhabit the temple and will be present with the people. That's how That's these how temples were built, built. And the image, image of the God, God going, going into the temple was the, was the sort of the sort ultimate, ultimate act. act. And, what and what we see here in Genesis, Genesis 1 is that is God, God constructs his own temple, which is the cosmos itself. He dedicates and blesses each of the parts. He declares them to be good. And even there's a, I've heard it suggested that this may have been written, this Genesis account may have been written as a liturgy that was spoken or sung. That's why I had us read certain parts of it together, because you can feel it, can't you? There's a rhythm to it. That, that may have been what it, the purpose that it served as a piece of writing, even. Uh, at the end of those, at the, at the end of these days, on the sixth day, of course, God places his own image a living, a living image, image into, into the temple, temple that, that he has created. And, and he gives them a role. role. He, gives he gives them a function to assist him in keeping order. order. Now, wow, oh, wow, that's, 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 that's huge, actually. actually. We, have, we a have a role to assist, to assist God, God 
in maintaining the order that he has created. The writer here is definitely emphasizing God's continuing presence with and through humankind. And that's even more clear on the seventh day. And says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Well, well, what does, what does it, mean it mean for God, God to, to rest? rest? Does it does mean, mean that God, God takes a nap? nap? Does, does it mean that God has a snooze? Does, does it mean that he sleeps, sleeps, he puts his feet up, up he you know, turns on the Netflix and that's, you know, you know binges some Stranger, stranger things, things or something? I don't know. No, no, no it no, doesn't, doesn't mean that. that. Resting, Resting is not about that. Not in the ancient Near Eastern way of thinking of it anyway. When ancient Near Eastern people placed that deity's image within their temples that they built, they said the language they used was that the deity was resting. The deity was now at rest. What that meant was that order has been established and the deity is now present within the temple, among the people, ruling and reigning, maintaining the order that he or she has established. And so, and so that's, that's what's, what's happening, happening here in this text. God, God at rest does not mean God is, you know, finished, finished working or not doing anything. What it what means is that God is now ruling and reigning within his temple. God is now presiding over it and maintaining the order that he has established. And that's vital, absolutely vital for us to understand. He is present with his creation. He is, he is present, present with his people. people. Oh, oh, all, right. all right. That's a That's lot, of, lot stuff of stuff that, that I just, I just sort of spit, spit out at you. At you. We've, we've, we've talked, talked a lot, lot this morning about, about ancient Israelite, Israelite literature. literature. Right? Uh, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about how this text is constructed in a literary way. We've talked a lot about how it's constructed according to ancient Israelite expectations. And so, and so what, what we, we might, might be asking, asking ourselves right now, right now what some of you might be asking is, wait, wait, wait a minute, minute. doesn't Does God, one, one question, question I guess, I guess might, might be, you know, well, are, they, are, are we saying, saying, do they believe that God, didn't they believe that God created the things that we can touch, that God built the matter that we're standing on, that we can, that we can see and touch and feel? Of course, of course they did. That goes without saying. That's a given. Right? But they're, but they're not, not interested, interested in telling, in telling that, story. that story. That's, That's the thing. The thing. Right. That's, That's kind of what we're saying this morning. Of course they believe that. Of course they believe that. That was a given that an ancient Israelite reader would obviously think that all of the, all of the things that we can see and touch were, of course, created by God. All of the matter was created by God. But again, that's not the story that they're interested in. That's not the story that they care about. So we might ourselves be asking, well, doesn't God reveal himself then in the text, like to us? Doesn't he... Are you, Are you saying, saying that he doesn't, he doesn't reveal himself, himself in this text? text? Yes, of yes, course he does. And I believe that. I absolutely believe that. that. But it but makes, it makes little, little sense for God, God to use language and cultural ideas, ideas that are completely, that are completely foreign, foreign to, to the original, original writer and the original, original audience. audience. That would that not would be not fair, fair to them. And it wouldn't make much sense. This is an ancient document. Genesis is not a scientific textbook. 
Genesis, Genesis is not a book, book that is that trying to teach us about geological or biological facts. facts. It just isn't. It just but it, but does it does reveal God to us. In Genesis, In Genesis we see a God who has crafted a beautiful temple of creation and who has given humanity a clear role within that temple to care for it. And that reflects God's own care for creation. And we see in this text also God's commitment to maintaining the order that he has established. And that's a theme that we're going to see on and on in Genesis as we go forward in the coming weeks. God's commitment to maintaining order in creation and how he deals with disorder. And crucially, crucially, we see here, and I hope if we walk away with anything, I hope this is what we walk away with. God's commitment to being present with his creation and with humanity. And we'll see that theme of presence, God's commitment to being present with his people. We'll see that theme of presence again, continuing on in Genesis as we keep going through this series. All right, now, there's a lot of stuff here. If you're interested at all in a lot of this stuff, um, there's uh, John Walton is a great scholar in this area who writes some cool stuff. Uh, the Lost World of Genesis series, there's several of those. Um, that are pretty handy. That uh, survey of the Old Testament is, that's okay. Um, that's not bad. Uh, the Epic of Eden, you know, I can't even remember the author's name who wrote that. It's pretty good though. <laughs> um, the other good one is that Cultural Studies Bible there. Um, there's an NIV version. I think there's an NRSV version. There might be a couple others. That one's excellent. Actually, Walton does the Old Testament sort of notes on that. Uh, so, uh, so if you're interested, interested in, in, in sort of the cultural backgrounds background, of a lot of where this stuff comes from, from that, that, those, those are some of the resources that, that uh, you, can, you, can you can draw from. from. What I'd what like to do, do just, just to finish, finish off today, today is, is if we could kind of, of, I don't know, circle up with a few people in a bit of a group and have a bit of a chat about some of these questions. I mean, you don't have to use these questions. These are some guideline questions. I guess you could talk about anything you've heard this morning and what you think. That's fine. Uh, some, of some of the things, things you might, might want to think about are these. How challenging do you find this way of looking at the text? And I'm not, I'm, I am under no illusions that sometimes it can be a little challenging to look at these texts in a different way. I get it. Uh, does looking at the text in this way give you any new insights into the text? Or will give you any new insights into, into the way that God reveals himself? And, and maybe, maybe what, are what are you most looking forward, forward to in this, this series on Genesis? Genesis. Maybe, maybe even what you're least looking forward, forward to, but, but you know, whatever. Uh, uh, what, what are you are looking, looking forward, forward to in this, in this series as this series, series continues on? on. All, right, All right, do we want to jump into jump groups? Into yeah, sorry, yeah, Pat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, it'll take me 20 years to get back there. I'll, I'll just leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. 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 It's so that so if you. That's right. So what would it look like to go to to like say you know the restaurant analogy to go to a restaurant with the expectation of like yeah it's a good good way of putting it like a mechanics workshop you'd be expecting something very different there wouldn't you I mean you know or the 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 vibe the flavor would certainly be different wouldn't it yeah yeah. Mm. 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 Yeah. yeah. It's quite, quite true. true. Yes. yes. Sorry, yeah, that's easier. Yeah. I should have just, just given you mine. No, no. Yeah. So, so at one twenty-four, what God does is suddenly there's a conversation, and He says, "Let us make people in our own image." And so the revelation of God, He self-reveals at this point. I think is the first time He self-reveals. And he says, I am a community. And because they're having a perfect conversation amongst themselves, and this is the point I'm trying to make, that there is a completely mutual, respectful conversation. I think we've all been in conversations where one of us hasn't quite got the, they're trying to have their way. And here, whoever this community is, which we'll find out later is the three-in-one, but at the moment we don't know, it's a perfect community and it's a perfect conversation and so God opens himself up as a community and it's good it's the first time we know that God's good by his um, we get an insight into the inner life of God and so I think so we're made in that image and I think it's I think that's an important that's not like the ancient Near Eastern gods. They used to yeah. have sex with each other, rape each other, murder each other. Yeah, it's, it's quite, quite different, different, isn't it? It's so, yeah, the behavior of God, God in, in Genesis is really important to pay, like to contrast. And the question with the, that anyone in that time would be asking is, well, what is this God actually like? Yeah. <laughs> he says, I am loving and I'm a perfect community. And I think that, yeah. that needed to be said in terms of how he reveals himself yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely i agree, I agree. Yeah. yeah as westerners we come with the idea that the main character of god is that he's sovereign mm. but actually what genesis tells us is the main quality of god is that he is community mm. and the sovereignty comes out of that it's a good, it's a good point. point it's a very good point bit of this on John Walton, um, because it's 
it's kind of like yeah i will say it's not my like i'll be very clear it's not my analogy it is definitely walton's it's walton's analogy i just stole it um, um, I gave I him gave credit. credit. I didn't steal, steal it without it asking. No. When you say this telling of creation is about a, a, a creative being putting things in order, um, and I just thought um, what we're seeing is somebody organising a restaurant with all its formalities and orders and everything else. Mm. rather to, than just walking into the bush and having a barbecue, you know, throwing a few logs around and you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. It could be a bit of yeah. this, a bit of that. Um, it, it doesn't really have, may not necessarily have such a level of order yeah. as we're yeah. seeing here. So th there was something already happening and then it's been brought into some sort of... Yeah, so exactly. Bush and barbecue became a restaurant yeah <laughs> yes, yes something, something like, like that. that it's a and it's a, it's, it's, it's a hard, hard look, look, look I mean, nobody's, nobody's gonna lie and say this is a, this is an easy text to understand it's, it's certainly not, not. It, it's um, um, I just I, just, I always I think we have, have to be sort of careful <laughs> in the in community I would have grown up in what I everything I just would have said everything I just said would have been heresy in the highest order and I'll admit that I acknowledge that it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, so I don't so get tired and feathered. I mean, honestly, honestly that's, that's the way. The way. But, but, and there's and a lot of stuff that will be said, I guess. There's a lot of stuff that could be said about, um, you know, it's, it's we need to respect the text. And that was that was how I was told. We need to take the text seriously. And that's true, I agree. But I don't think it actually takes the text seriously if we try to read it like scientists. Because, because that's, that's not, not the way the text, text is. It's, it's just, just not, not the way the text, the text is written. Is written. So, so it's sort of this, this, this kind of, I guess this, this, this ironic thing where we, a lot of times we have a lot of, um, there's a cultural superiority that we have as modern Westerners thinking that we've got the world figured out exactly the way it is. And we know the way the world works and we know all these things. And so that it's a lot of times, honestly, I think it's hubris when, when we, we bring, bring that, that to the text, text and assume that we're the only ones in the history, because quite frankly, this, this our way of looking at the world is young. young. It is it not is old. old. Like, like the way we, we look, look at the world, world is 300 years old. old. Before that, yeah, people, people didn't, didn't look at the world, at the world like, like we do in this like sort of scientific post-enlightenment way. And so it is, there's a lot of hubris to come to a text and think that somehow we, we can read, read and understand, understand this text in ways that, that nobody else ever could. could. It's, it's just, just that's, that's just not, 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 I just I don't think that's realistic or, or fair to the text. text. So that's, 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 that's kind of where I'm coming from. from. Yeah. If you can measure it, if you can weigh it, if you can dissect yeah. it, if you can pull it into bits, you know it. Yeah. And how very, very Western. Western. Yeah. No, nothing works like that. Yeah, how very Western. Well, look, I want to give us a chance to have a, Chat around, but I'll tell you what, I'll come around to, I'll come around to some different groups as we go along. Well, that's heavy. Um, and I'll put those questions back up. And if you can hear over that, you'll be able to talk to each other.